All right, if you could turn, First Peter chapter 2. We're in that last paragraph. We covered most of it two weeks ago. We had our missions emphasis last week with Mark Lauterbach and reminded us of a lot of great things. Um, well, I'm going to remind you of this larger text as we get into it, so um, you won't forget where we've been, so to speak. So picking up in verse 18, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing, when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if, when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his footsteps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Let's pray. Our shepherd and overseer, lead our souls this morning, just as a shepherd leads his sheep. Help us to hear your voice and to follow. Bring us into rich pastures and places with clean, still waters. Protect us from the lies and desires that so often control us, that hinder us and make us miserable. Have mercy on us and speak truth and love to us this morning through this, Your Word. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If I were to ask you what your greatest problem was, the answers might be a little interesting. Your answers might be similar to the answers that Peter's audience may have given. And based on what Peter has written thus far, I would say that some of them would have thought that their biggest problem was the government. Other ones may have said, my boss or my workplace is my biggest problem. And based on where we're going to go in the next two weeks, others might have said, my home life is my biggest problem. Now, Peter wouldn't say to them, those things aren't problems, because in fact they are problems, but they are not the biggest problem. The biggest problem is your sin. 
as well as the sin of others. But let's focus mostly on our sin, precisely because that is where Peter goes right here. He takes a left turn at Albuquerque or something strange because he's talking about unjust suffering and then makes this veer suddenly into the reality of Christ as Savior. I think that's because he wants to remind them and us that those problems external to us are not the biggest problem. Because if you get rid of government... If you get rid of your boss, if you get rid of your spouse, you still have a problem. And that problem is you. So Jesus brings us back from our wandering by his death. That's really what sums up what we're going to be talking about this morning. And so first off, Peter kind of just breaks this into three different pictures And so I'm going to stick with those three different pictures that Peter presents for us this morning. Jesus bore our sin so we can walk in righteousness. Okay, why does this this shift that's taking place, and I think part of it is because he's just talked about Jesus as as our example in the midst of unjust suffering. And if that's all we had from Jesus, we'd be in big trouble. It's good that Jesus has laid an example for us. Okay? But we all fail to follow the example. When we suffer unjustly, we tend to follow the desires of our hearts in wanting to seek revenge. We are plagued with revenge fantasies. In my mind, sometimes I still go back to injustices from my youth, and I want revenge. I feel almost like Kenny on the steamroller there in Fish Called Wanda, running, screaming out, revenge, revenge, as he kills Otto. Unfortunately, that's who we are. That's what we want to do. And for those who, you know, aren't like as bad as me, perhaps, maybe you only struggle with bitterness. But that's a bad thing too. And sometimes we suffer when we didn't sin. And other times we suffer when we did. And when we do suffer, we often struggle with guilt, whether it's real or imagined guilt, and our sins can come back up to haunt us. And so I think that is the context into which Peter speaks here when he says, He himself, referring to Jesus, okay, he himself bore our sins. Jesus didn't make someone else bear our sins. Jesus took them upon himself. Peter wants, with emphasis here, is wanting to make sure that we understand that it is this Jesus, this Lamb of God who knew no blemish. This is the one, the eternal Son, this is the one who bore our sins. And Peter has been meditating upon Isaiah 53, and we see him continuing to have this meditation upon Isaiah 53 as he he alludes here to verse 12 of that chapter. Jesus bore our sins. We didn't bear our sins. 
And this word that he uses here for sins just does have that idea of missing the mark. For instance, uh, if you're in archery and you shoot your arrow and you don't get the bullseye, uh, that's one of the meanings of this. But also within that, that, the range of that word is mistakes, errors, to wander from truth and righteousness. That we are people who fundamentally and frequently make mistakes, make errors, wander from truth and righteousness. This is who we are. In Numbers 14, we see Israel in the wilderness. And because they have wandered from the truth... They've rebelled against God. He told them to enter into the promised land. They sent the spies, and the spies said, hey, it's scary in there, except for two of them, Caleb and Joshua. They said, let's go, because God is with us. Because they wandered from the truth, they would spend 40 years wandering in the wilderness. And that's us sometimes. We've wandered from the truth, and so we wander in different kinds of wilderness And so in light of that, in that context, we see that Peter is bringing them back to the reality of Jesus, the sin-bearer. That Jesus carried or offered up upon the altar all of those sins that we have committed. All of our wanderings, our mistakes, our errors, the times we have missed the target. And he did this in his body on the tree. His original audience might have been tempted to think, oh, sure, Jesus suffered spiritually. Oh, sure, Jesus suffered emotionally. They needed to remember because they suffered physically, Jesus also suffered physically. That was not merely a hocus-pocus kind of Uh, transaction that takes place for their forgiveness, but their forgiveness included, okay, included, it's not everything, but it included his physical suffering upon the tree, and Peter specifically brings up the tree because he wants to remind them of the curse. He wants them to think of Deuteronomy 21, that someone who is hung upon the tree is experiencing the curse of God. And Peter talked about it that way in Acts chapter 5, that Jesus was put upon the tree to experience the curse. Paul also in Galatians 3 reminds us that Jesus bore the curse of God. And he quotes again Deuteronomy 21. We need to remember this when our guilt arises. We need to remember that we don't bear the curse anymore because Jesus has borne the curse for us. We aren't to live in guilt anymore because Jesus has borne the guilt due our sins for us. We don't need to live in shame anymore because Jesus has been exposed to public shame for us. And so all of these things that rise up within us and condemn us, we need to preach the gospel to ourselves that Jesus has borne all of these things 
for us. That He bore the curse that we earned in order to give the blessings that He Himself has earned for us. But Peter's not done. He includes there a little bit of a, a purpose clause in here. Why is it that Jesus bore the, our sins upon, in His body on the tree? So that, and I'm going to deviate here from the ESV if you have it, we who died to sin might live to righteousness. I don't like to bring the study into the pulpit very often, but this is one of those days. Uh, we see that it says in the ESV and many other translations, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. The verb die and the verb live are in different tenses and moods. And so what's really going on here, and you see this in the um, American Standard Version, Calvin talks about this, Edmund Clowney talks about this, and so, you know, that was one of those things when I'm translating the text and I see it's different from the ESV, I'm like, what am I missing? Am I missing something? Because, you know, they're smarter than I am. But Calvin and Clowney are pretty smart too. So I think I'm on the right track with how I'm translating this. Okay? Because it's parallel to what we find as well in Romans 6. Jesus died so that we died to sin. Because we are united to Jesus Christ, we also have died to sin. It's not only Romans 6, but we see it in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, that idea of because of our union, the death we deserve because of our sin has already taken place in Jesus Christ, and because we're united to Him, we have experienced it. It no longer has dominion over us. Sin no longer can, can, has to control us. We are no longer, as Paul says there in Romans 6, slaves to sin. And because you are, in fact, already dead to sin in Jesus Christ, Paul says you are then to consider yourselves, reckon yourselves, think about yourselves as dead to sin. Meaning, think about what it means when you're tempted. Think about what it means that Christ has died for sin and we have died with Him as our covenant head. We don't have to obey these desires, these sinful desires of our hearts anymore. And so because we, we who have died to sin may live to righteousness... Uh, so that's what that's the now part that's the conditional part because we've died to sin now we may live to righteousness which is exactly where paul also goes in romans chapter 6 this newness of life because christ has been raised we have been raised to a newness of life and they are now to walk in that newness of life and so we don't have to listen to the clamor within our hearts for vengeance when we suffer unjustly. We can follow the example of Jesus 
because we're freed from sin. We'll get more into that in a little bit. Why does this matter? Think about the context here for a moment. Remember, Peter is speaking to domestics, the household servants and slaves of his day. If you obeyed, you generally would be accepted. If you fit in, went along, however you want to put it, then you would generally be accepted. The gospel is quite different. The gospel is we have been accepted and we have been forgiven so that we might now obey or walk in righteousness. It completely turns the worldly perspective upside down. But here's the truth. Those domestics weren't the only ones who thought in those terms of, if I obey, I will be accepted. We struggle with that precisely because it's a function of the covenant of works that is written upon our hearts. That is the default system of your heart. If I just do the right thing, I will gain acceptance from God. I will gain blessing from God. I will gain blessing from other people. Don't we all spend most of our time trying to fit in and go along and all that jazz? So that we feel accepted and we feel loved? But the gospel is even though that you have failed, even though you are a spiritual flop, guess what? You are fully loved in Jesus Christ precisely because He has borne your sin. It no longer stands between you and God. And because you are freely forgiven and freely loved, you are now free to walk in righteousness. That's Paul's logic in Romans 6, and it's Peter's logic here in the second chapter. And so... Jesus has changed our relationship to sin. He's changed our relationship to righteousness so that we can begin to return to righteousness. And so Jesus dealt with our biggest problem by bearing our sin so that we can now live new lives. Peter then moves to another picture, so to speak. Jesus healed our souls by His wounds. You see, we're not only guilty, we're also sin-sick. Sin brings dis-ease or misery in many ways. It can bring it to our personalities. Some of you have difficult personalities. I know, because I have a difficult personality. Okay? Some of you experience problems genetically. The disobedience of Adam has resulted in genetic problems. And so people have birth defects or diseases that they are prone to because of their DNA. We have problems with our bodies. Cancer. And other diseases that we are prone to that can kill us or make us very miserable. 
all of this is a result of the work of sin in the world. And as if that wasn't bad enough. You live in a world filled with other sinners. And those sinners are going to freely sin against you. Okay? And so what happens is that we tend to develop these sinful patterns of coping and relating. It's a reality. One of my sons has a genetic problem. It's born bilateral cleft lip and palate. And because he didn't have all the equipment he needed to speak, he coped. He accommodated. And so now he goes through speech therapy so that he can unlearn all the ways that he compensated and learn how to speak correctly so that people like you and me can understand him a whole lot better. That's one picture of it. Another picture of it. One of the things I liked about the new movie, Guardians of the Galaxy, that came out Friday, is all of these people are dis, what we call dysfunctional. They all have some great wounds and are trying to figure out how to love other people in the midst of this. And so there is Rocket, who has been sinned against greatly and is afraid to let anyone close by. And so he pushes everybody away. He may be a raccoon, but he operates like a porcupine. But that's a picture of us. That's what we do. Now, that's a picture of those people that Peter's writing to. And these people knew the sting of the whip. Many of them knew the pain of the rod from their master or overseer. And it is into that that Peter speaks, by his wounds you have been healed. Jesus received wounds. And his wounds, oddly enough, bring healing, which is Peter just meditating on Isaiah 53, verse 5. The healer of our souls is not a physician who dispenses pills. The healer of our souls is not a surgeon who cuts us open. The healer of our souls is not a teacher who gives us more information. The healer of our souls is not a psychotherapist who places you on his couch so that you can tell about the wounds you received in your childhood, which sometimes you do need to talk to someone about that. I'm not dismissing that at all. But I'm saying is the ultimate reason for our healing is Jesus beaten and wounded for the well-being of our souls. He received wounds for us. And so because He did this, He is the one who heals our waywardness, who heals our straying, wandering hearts. Because He has been wounded Himself. You see, healing here is about wholeness. It's about the restoration of God's image in a human being. 
It's about making you fully alive and human. I think it was Irenaeus who claimed that the glory of God is man fully alive because man is made in the image of God. And so the, the healing has begun. This healing frees us to love, ultimately. But we struggle with the reality of that thing called the already and the not yet. You see, already pardoned, already declared righteous by God, already adopted as His children, we still sin. We still stray. And so we're not yet glorified, we're not yet perfected in righteousness. It's happening, but it's not done yet. You're on the road to wholeness, but you haven't arrived, and that makes life a little bit uncomfortable for everyone else around you. And the fact that they haven't arrived makes your life uncomfortable too. Additionally, His wounds will heal us from disease, from defect. It's just that that's in the glorified body. It's not because Benny Hinn throws his coat at you. We have to wait for that, most of us. So, Jesus also deals with the misery that sin has produced in our lives. He brings healing through the wounds that He suffers. Thirdly, Jesus brought us back as our shepherd and overseer. Peter reminds them of their condition and your condition prior to Christ by using Isaiah once again as a guide this time in verse 6. For you were straying like sheep. <laughs> sheep. They have no goal aside from feeding their bellies or quenching their thirst. They just go where the food is. They don't have a plan. They could nibble their way off the edge of a cliff. Okay? And that's what we can do sometimes. Our desires can so rule, rule us so that we ruin ourselves in the pursuit of our desires. Judges, which we're studying in community group. Judges reminds us that people do what is right in their own eyes. I can see this so clearly in The Hobbit. And I've used this before, and maybe you're bored with this, but nonetheless, Mirkwood Forest, Gandalf's ready to go. He's got another thing he's going to take care of, and he tells the dwarves and Bilbo before they enter into the Mirkwood Forest, stay on the path. Doesn't get much easier than that, right? Stay on the path. If you leave the path, you're going to get lost. Stay on the path. What do they do? In their fear, in their pride, in their doubt, they leave the path. 
and they can't find their way back to the path. They're lost, and there's no getting back. You see, wandering and lost people need someone to come and to find them. Maybe the Mirkwood Forest doesn't do it for you. So a week and a half ago, I went to a concert up in Tempe. And I had the, I had the address, and I had the name of the church, and I had my trusty iPhone with Siri, my best friend. You know I have a rocky relationship with Siri. It didn't get any better that night. So there I am. And I'm following the directions. And then she says, follow the directions. What do you mean, follow the directions? I was going in circles trying to find this church. At one point, I'm driving, I'm driving down this side street, and she says, you have arrived at your destination. I have not. <laughs> I see no church. I get very agitated when I'm in an uncomfortable situation and I feel out of control. And that's what's going on in my car. I'm yelling at Siri. Okay? This is one of my great weaknesses. So, not the yelling at Siri, but the, how I deal with being out of control. Having no control, feeling powerless. Okay? What I needed was not my phone. I needed someone to show me where it was because my phone was missing it and I was missing it. I was lost. And apparently all the people I pulled over and talked to didn't know where it was either. <laughs> I need someone who knew what was going on to rescue me from Siri and myself because Siri is not my biggest problem. Okay? And so Peter speaks to that. You were straying like sheep. You were lost, but you have been returned. And it's important that I've added that word been because this is a passive verb. I'm sorry I'm bringing the, the study in here, but it's important because this is something not that we do, but it's something that has been done for us. We didn't find Jesus. Jesus came and found us. We're lost spinning our wheels even if we don't know it. And Jesus comes and finds us. He returns us. They have been returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls, Peter says. We are safely in the care of Jesus now. The good shepherd came and found us while we were wandering and begins to guide us to our destination. But you know, we're, we haven't been cured of our wandering completely. We still sometimes wander off, but He still comes and finds us. As the hymnist wrote, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Jesus still keeps following because You are precious to Him because He shed His blood to rescue You. And so He keeps coming after you no matter how many times you wander away. And that should be good news. But He doesn't just want, uh, come after us 
He guides us. He feeds us by His Word. He fights for us from our enemies. He protects the sheep for whom He has died. He, is, he cares about our best interest. Which was different than the overseers in the domestic home. They cared about the master's business and you were just a piece of flesh they owned or controlled. And so Peter is encouraging them, you are valuable to this shepherd. You are valuable to this overseer. This overseer does not give you blows like the one in the house. This overseer has taken blows for you. He examines not only our actions, but this overseer examines our hearts. And that can frighten us. Because if Jesus examines our hearts, He knows all the things wrong with us that maybe other people haven't figured out yet. He knows how much of a spiritual flop you really are. And He knows how much of a spiritual flop I really am. The only reason this um, should provide any comfort to us is if we go back to the beginning and remember He has borne our sins in His body upon the tree. This is the shepherd who doesn't just hold us to a high standard, but this is the shepherd who is the standard, but also the shepherd who suffered for us to rescue us from our guilt so we don't have to hide from Him anymore. You may hide from each other, but you don't have to hide from Him. And when you realize you don't have to hide from Him, maybe, just maybe, you'll stop hiding from each other. And you can be honest about where you fail each other and say, please forgive me. Our biggest problem is not the government. Our biggest problem is not our bosses or our workplace. Our biggest problem is not the person we're married to or anyone else for that matter. Our biggest problem is sin and the misery that our sin produces. You see, the rest of it is just the symptoms of this problem that is at the root or the foundation of who we are. We are profoundly messed up people whether we recognize it or not. And so sinners and spiritual flops know that Jesus bore our sins and the curse so that sin no longer has the final word. Loved, 
forgiven and accepted by God, we can try again every day because His mercies are new every day. Miserable and messed up, know that Jesus heals sinners, making them whole again, teaching us to love for reals. Yeah, I said Lost and confused? Jesus came and found us and continues to find us every time we wander off as He leads us home. Isn't that great news? That's the news that should displace all of those corrupt desires we feel. Let's pray. Father, thank You that You did not send Jesus merely as an example, but that You also sent Him as Savior. But we struggle to live as forgiven people. We oftentimes still feel the chains of guilt and shame. We still hide from you and one another. So through texts like this, teach us how to live as forgiven people. Teach us what it means to walk by faith. Teach us to trust You in the midst of our misery. Help us to believe that Jesus is in fact our shepherd. That Jesus comes and finds us. That Jesus feeds us. That Jesus fights for us. So that we would have a greater love for Jesus so that we would take greater delight in Jesus. And that that delight would result in glory to You. And it's in Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen.